Welcome to the Faith Christian Fellowship of Montego Bay's podcast. We are reaching for His glory through building and teaching. I hope you are encouraged and edified by this message. Doctrine of Atonement. You probably have not heard it in that kind of wording before, but the Doctrine of Atonement comprises the redemptive work of Christ, including his crucifixion, including his resurrection, including his exaltation, his glorification, and also including the intercessor ministry of Jesus, and certainly including the the second coming. That's actually a part of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. So let's speak to the crucifixion first real quickly go through them you see crucifixion is about when jesus was beaten nailed to the cross for us and all that kind of stuff the whole work at the cross there it comes under the crucifixion so the thing is if we took it upon ourselves to be beaten and to be crucified we couldn't save ourselves because we were not sinless. It required the sinless lamb to be sacrificed for the sinners. So it is so very important to understand now in the doctrine of atonement that Jesus not merely took our place, as we would say, because even if we had died, voluntarily and jesus never died for us we couldn't save ourselves so he died so that we could be saved he died he was crucified so that we can have life and have it more abundantly the resurrection the resurrection demonstrates triumph i believe that the resurrection is probably the greatest occurrence on earth since the creation of man in Genesis. I think maybe the only thing that can possibly rival the resurrection is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. But what I'm saying is that the resurrection is a part of the redemptive work of Christ because if he had just died like others, Buddha, Allah, Joseph Simit, Selassie, but not raised from the dead, then he couldn't really have purchased our redemption. So the resurrection not only separated um, Jesus from any other God, but it completed the package of the redemption. It helped to complete the package of the redemption so that you and I can live and serve the Lord. The exaltation of Jesus was another part of the redemptive process. And in the exaltation of Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians 2 verse 9, that God hath highly exalted Jesus and hath given him a name that is above every other name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The glorification is also another part 
of the, the, the redemptive work and the, you know, the glorification and the exaltation work together. But in the glorification, some very interesting things happen. Interesting that the glory of God was manifested through Jesus on the mount or what we call the mount of transfiguration where Jesus had some of his disciples up on the mountain with him and uh, his body, the Bible said, was transfigured before them, changed. And they saw the glory of God through Jesus in a way that they couldn't even quite relate. In fact, some people would say they actually were beside themselves saying, well, Lord, man, this is so interesting. This is so amazing. Can we build some houses, some tabernacles up here and not even go back? That's how pleasant, amazing the glorification of Jesus was in terms of the Mount of Transfiguration. But also after the resurrection of Jesus, there was also some glorification where they saw the glory of God, where Jesus appeared in the midst of the disciples and they were amazed at his presence as he worked among them and communed with them. They saw not just the person of Jesus, but experienced a presence that is unlike any other. The intercessory ministry of Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that he, Jesus, ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. Remember that the word intercession means to stand in the gap on behalf of another. All right? So Jesus is standing, constantly standing in the gap on behalf of us, talking to the Father God. He prays for us, the Bible says. He make representation on our behalf. So he ever lived to make intercession for the saints. And that's a part of the redemptive work of Christ. Because remember, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there wasn't any such thing. The priest would go in once per year and offer sacrifices and represent the people before God. He would go into the Holy of Holies once per year. But in the New Covenant that we live a part of the redemptive work is that Jesus makes intercession on our behalf on a daily basis. That is why you are able to endure some of the things that you endure and don't even know. Because it's not just your prayers, but Jesus is standing on the gap on your behalf. Wow. Who is better to be interceding for us than Jesus? His second coming is also a part of the redemptive work and you might ask how but it is a part of the process of closing this age or this dispensation all right and uh, it is as i said a part of the process of closing this age or this dispensation so that man can be restored to the original environment that god created him to live in so this environment that we live in, in this world now, is not really the ideal environment that God created for us. That is why people say, and it is true, 
that this world is not our home. We're only passing through. So the second coming will enable us to transition into the environment that God initially or originally intended for us, where there will be no death, no sin, and where we will worship the Lord forever and forever and forever and live in the kind of environment, as I said, that God originally intended. So all of that is a part of the redemptive process, which comes under the doctrine of atonement. Now, the doctrine of atonement is probably the most preached doctrine over the last 2,000 years or certainly since the time of the first century Christians. And many preachers, ministers might not even call it atonement or know that they're preaching the doctrine of atonement. But the redemptive work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has been preached over and over and over, and rightly so. But it has been preached more than any other doctrine because people are okay with the message of the cross. When I got born again, maybe the only thing I heard for a number of years was the doctrine of atonement. I mean, they didn't say the doctrine of atonement, but you hear how Jesus died for you and how he rose again on your behalf and all of that, and you hear the message of the cross. It is a very powerful doctrine, and uh, I believe that it is one that we, we need to understand so that we can appreciate what Jesus did on our behalf, what the entire council of the Godhead did on our behalf. So the message of the cross, the message of the resurrection, among you know other things preached in the message of the atonement, has given rise to some of the old-time classics in terms of songs that we know many of the old-time classics that we sing and still have some juice in them and all of that has withstood the test of times and generations are songs that, that came from the doctrine of atonement. So, for example, songs like, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. I mean, once that is sung properly, it can fit almost anywhere at any time. Those are songs that have real strong meaning. And again, I'm saying this is the message of the atonement. Songs like On a Hill Far Away to the Old Rugged Cross. I mean, they still sing those songs and still minister to people and still reach lives in this day and age. Those songs have been written ages ago, coming from the doctrine of atonement. So the doctrine of atonement is very important. But at the same time, I want to make the point that it is not the only doctrine and does not stand alone, pretty much like every other doctrine. So although it is a very important doctrine and all of that, you cannot settle with just hearing the doctrine of atonement because you would not be balanced in your understanding of 
God of the gospel of the kingdom of God. So yes, understand all you can about the doctrine of atonement, but just understand that it is one of 12 doctrines, just like any other doctrine. You know, Easter is one of those times when the doctrine of atonement seems seem to, to take on added significance among some people. But the truth is that our redemption is always important from January to December. Yes, it was through Jesus Christ that the atonement was made possible. And that is why we continue to be grateful to God and to declare things like, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. That's why we continue to say things like, to God be the glory for the things that he has done. And we continue to give thanks to our king for the atonement, for the work that enable us to be here in Bible studies tonight. You see, the plan of the atonement originated in, in the council of the eternal Godhead, if you put it that way, before the creation and the fall of man. You see, even though um, Adam was the man that stepped out a line, God knew long before Adam did that he was going to do it. So the discussion, the plan of redemption was on long before Adam was even created. The work was already done in terms of what Jesus needed to do. But the reality of the atonement to each individual is continuing even this day. In other words, God, through the Holy Spirit, is still convicting the hearts of man to respond to the redemptive work, the, the, the work of the atonement. So although the work is, is done in the sense that he has already gone to the cross and all that kind of stuff, paid the price for our sins, getting people to respond is still an issue. And that is why we have to continue to preach the gospel so that people can respond to the work that was done in terms of the atonement, because it's not just to make God please and be grateful that he never went there in vain or he never did all of that in vain, but it's to save your eternal life. It's about securing your destiny. So with each passing day, we still have to share the good news of the gospel with those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it is one of the things as a believer that you have to keep working on. Every one of us should lead at least one person to the Lord during our lifetime after get, being born again. And I'm not suggesting that you stop with one, but if you're so convinced of the work of Christ, then it is important that you share that good news with someone else. I want to read a scripture out of Romans chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 6 down to verse 8. But, you know, in 
Isaiah chapter 53, chapter that we know pretty well. We also see where the Bible teaches us about the redemptive work of Christ from the time of the Old Testament, long before Jesus went to the cross. In fact, about 740 years before it actually happened, and Isaiah prophesied he was wounded for all transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. That's the redemptive work there. And by his stripes, we were healed. And Isaiah got that from the counsel of the God. In other words, the spirit of the Lord spoke to him. Romans chapter 5. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners when we were utterly helpless. In other words, in our sinful state at that time, it's not like we were set to the kingdom in that, in that state. It's not like we were in a position where we could advance certain things. We were helpless. And many times people try to help those who can help them or can return the favor at some time. But the Bible says that when we were helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And that's something we have to make a note of and remember all the time because sometimes we don't remember that as Christians when, when sinners sin and people make mistakes and all of that we seem to believe that at no time we were in a state of sin. You know, we were just so perfect and all of that. And we also have to understand that the church is not just about the people who are righteous. We have the responsibility of reaching out to those who are sinners because Jesus died for sinners now that we're changed it doesn't mean that mercy should close on the others in our time span in other words we shouldn't set the time on when mercy should close on anyone it should always be the work of god to decide when the age or the dispensation should close now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us, his great love for us, by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That speaks to the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message, the doctrine of atonement, that he died for us while we were sinners so that we can stop being sinners, that we don't have to continue to be sinners. And not just in terms of just that we're committing sin, but change the course of our lives. So these scriptures reveal that man needed help and mortal man could not provide that help. So God did it for man so that man could have a hope and a future.
God did for man what man could not do for himself. So I know we have said sometimes that Christ became our substitute. And I understand what, what we're saying when we say that. But the truth is, Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And the, the message of the cross is one that we have to continue to analyze in our own minds as individuals and in the church to say, is there any that could have done what he did? And the answer is no. Through the doctrine of atonement, we see the integrity of God's faithfulness to man. God is faithful to man and man need to be grateful to God. Any man who refuses to be grateful to God run the risk of eternal separation from God. It don't have to be that way if we will respond to his faithfulness by being grateful. But if we refuse, again, sin carries consequences. So the Bible says in John 3.16, the golden text of the Bible, how God so loved the world. He loved it in such a way that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. In other words, is saved from destruction, from perishing. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Us having everlasting life is a part of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ because we were on a course of hell and destruction without hope according to Adam's transgressions. But Jesus came, he was the second Adam, and he put back our lives on course so we can inherit what God originally intended for us to inherit. The necessity of atonement or the necessity of the atonement is understood when we realize the relationship between the holiness of God, the, the laws of God, the sinfulness of man and divine wrath. So in other words, it is the laws of God that allow us to manifest and perpetuate the holiness of God. But at the same time, the sinfulness of man can incur the wrath of God because you are basically opposing his holiness when you continue to walk in sin. So under the doctrine of, of God, we see that holiness was seen as a fundamental moral attribute of God. Holiness describes the, the very character of God, the very essence of God. So when God created the angelic beings and, and human beings, if you remember, God created them with free will. And the fact that God created them with free will necessitated that they, they will live in the, the boundaries of God's will 
by choice. In other words, the, the reason why we have the laws of God, our God gave us laws, commandments, is because we have a free will. In other words, if we were created as robots, just programmed to, to go a certain way, we would not have the option to decide whether or not we follow God. But God created us with a free will and the free will necessitated the laws of God so that we can choose whether we want to follow the laws of God and have eternal life or not follow them and have eternal separation from God. So if there was no free will, there would be no need for God to give us any laws, any commandments, because everything would be programmed in an automatic way. Have you ever been to any one of those airports that have those train and when the, the train is moving, the announcement comes over, please hold on, this train is departing. Or, you know, please hold on, this train is uh, stopped. There is nothing, no announcement that goes to the train to say, be careful because people are standing. No, because the train is programmed. The person or the entity that has the free will has to make a choice if he's going to hold on and save himself from falling or if he's not going to hold on and risk uh, falling. The point I'm making is that we are not programmed like those trains. We have a free will. So therefore, God has to give us boundaries, parameters, so that we can choose what we do and what we don't do. And while the free will gets us into trouble, sometimes that is just the way God created man. I know that there's some people that seem to work better if you just program them, but that's not God's intention. That was never God's intention. He didn't create robots. So as I said before, the laws of God enables us to manifest or maintain, perpetuate the holiness of God. So it is a choice that we have. If we walk in holiness, if we honor the holiness of God, or we don't. Adam violated the law of God and, and compromised the righteousness of God. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man are in direct opposition to each other. The holiness of God cannot tolerate the sinfulness of man. Therefore, God's holiness demand that the sins of man be dealt with. Hence, the atonement. So if God did not deal with man's sinfulness, then his righteousness would be in, in, in trouble in terms of the manifestations of his righteousness on earth by human beings. God created us to represent him on earth. And if we're going to represent him, that means we need to uh, manifest his righteousness, represent him that way. Remember the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what I am saying to you is that 
if God did not deal with sin, there is no way that man could walk in righteousness to represent God in that way. That is why we have the doctrine or the message of the atonement so that God can see himself through you on earth. Because if he never died for our sins, then we would not have the ability to walk in righteousness, to represent him that way. And if you look in the scriptures very carefully, you will find that righteousness is one of, if not the most powerful kingdom key. If you want the favor of God on your life, it's not a 40-day fast that does that. Walk in righteousness. I'm not saying anything is wrong with a 40-day or 20-day fast, 21-day fast or whatever. I'm not saying anything is wrong with that at all. I'm just saying, if you want the favor of God on your life, righteousness is what attracts the favor of God. So that's why you will find scriptures in the Bible like David saying, I was young, now I'm old. I've never seen who? The righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. That's not the doing of just a Christian. It's righteous. The Bible says the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, shall grow like the seed of Lebanon. It says the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man avail at much. Not a believer. A righteous man, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man avail it much. God told Abraham he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham negotiated with God on the terms of righteousness and delayed God on the premise of righteousness. God, if you find 50 righteous in Sodom, would you destroy it? He said no. 40. He negotiated with God on the term or on the premise of righteousness. And this is how important the doctrine of atonement is because it is the doctrine of atonement, atonement that enables us to walk in the righteousness of God to the degree that we can in the new covenant. If sin goes unchecked in any environment, especially sin that contradicts the very fundamentals of the kingdom of God. If those sins go unchecked, people consciously refuse to respond to, to God. You don't have to prophesy that situations like those will attract the wrath of God. It is a natural course. In other words, you don't have to hear somebody prophesying that if you don't repent, the consequences of sin could have its toll on you because that is what happens when there is sin and no righteousness. Where there is just sin and no righteousness, there is no buffer between that environment and God. So the scripture says things like righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any man. If you are the only one living in righteousness in your family, I beg you to continue. That's why the Bible talks about you being the salt of the earth. 
the world will curse you and do all kinds of stuff. But you see, your company, where you work, don't even realize that your presence is bridging the gap as the righteous. And let me just go back to something. What, what I mean when I talk about sins that contradict the, the fundamentals of the kingdom, we're talking about things like worshiping false gods. God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Worshiping false god is one of the most dangerous things that you can do because you're saying, oh, Jehovah, you're not good enough. You're exalting somebody else or something else above, or you're trying to exalt something else above the supreme power. And that don't sit well with God because he said he won't share his glory with any man. So you're contradicting the fundamentals of thou shalt have no other God before me. If you look at something like homosexuality, it contradicts the fundamentals of the kingdom. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That kind of lifestyle contradicts that principle. It is not possible to do that if the whole place live a life of homosexual. And those sins that contradicts the fundamentals of the kingdom of God, if you notice throughout the scripture, they generally attract a more severe level of judgment. You think about Israel. God sent Moses to Pharaoh to say, let my people go that they may serve me. In other words, for over 400 years, they have been in Egypt and they've been subjected to the Egyptian gods, to serving them in one way or the other. God said, listen, let my people go that they will serve me. I don't want them around the Egyptian God anymore. I don't want them to be made to do the things that they don't want to do and that I didn't create them to do. So let my people go that they may serve me. When Pharaoh refused to allow that to happen, we see where the judgment of God came on Egypt. And even after the plagues came and Israel was released from Egypt, when they got to the Red Sea and you know Israel was on the other side, the Egyptians were in the middle pursuing them. The waters came back together and they were drowned. You say, God, why, why you had to be so severe with them, with the Egyptians? Well, they contradicted a fundamental principle by causing Israel to worship other gods. And you see the ripple effect of that even when the Israelites went into the wilderness because even then they were practicing worshiping idols and all of that that they got from Egypt. So that is the effect of breaching those fundamental rules, laws that God put in. When sin threatened to 
get people to do those things that would push back on God, so to speak, then God is going to act. Now, the word atonement used primarily in the Old Testament, except for maybe about one time in the New Testament, the word is used. I think it's Romans chapter 5, verse 11. So that word atonement used primarily in the Old Testament is the same word or carries the same meaning as the word reconciliation or reconciliation, and I don't know how you pronounce it, used in the New Testament. Atonement means to be made at one. You know, two people coming together as one, settling their differences and agreeing. It also means to bring about agreement or accord. It means to cover, to purge. That's atonement. Recon reconciliation means to bring back together as one or to join. So while you might not see the word atonement in the New Testament a lot, you would see the word reconciliation or you could see the word redemption. It is talking about the same thing. All right? They, they carries the pretty much the same meaning and uh, reconciliation speaks to the work of the Lord. It is a part of the redemptive process because we couldn't be made one with God had it not been for the atonement. Let's take a moment and look at what I call the origin of the atonement. As I said before, the atonement really started with the counsel of the Godhead. And according to the scripture, it happened even before the foundation of the world, before man was created. The Bible says that Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world to be the Lamb of God. Lamb of God means to be sacrificed for us. So God saw our lives, look way ahead in time, and saw the need for our redemption. And before we were ever born, he put the rescue plan in place for us. I want to read a scripture out of 1 Peter 1 verses 19 and 20 and then we're also going to read Ephesians 1 verse 4. It says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, all right, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in the scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. It came from God. It's not the prophet that just conjure up something and decide that um, they're going to speak this. The prophecies that we have recorded as it relates to the men and women who spoke as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance 
certainly came from the mind of God. It was the heart of God that they spoke. So when Isaiah prophesied about he was wounded for transgressions, bruised for iniquities and all of that, as I said before, it was God's plan in place to bring about our redemption and not just that, but showing us that way before man was born, he had it covered. And I want to support that now by Ephesians 1 verse 4. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, said, even before he made the world, before the King James said, before the foundation of the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy. All right? So that's very important, very instructive. Before the world was made, God loved us and chose us in Christ. The fact of in Christ, that point of in Christ, speaks to the atonement. Because remember that anything that happened in Christ is speaking to Jesus coming and sacrificing his life on our behalf. So even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So you see, when Adam was created, you know, in terms of faults and all of that, those things never exist. It was after the fall that faults came in. And it was Jesus that died for us so that those faults could be remedied. So we see that the whole idea of the atonement, of our redemption, did not come about 2,000 years ago in terms of God having to come up with something because of what happened. He set out from even before man was created to redeem us. Another scripture in Revelation 13 verse 8 says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. And so we see through the scriptures that we are not anything like afterthought. God always had us covered in terms of redemption. It is evident that God gave the patriarch especially Adam and, and Noah and Abraham, a, a partial revelation of the atoning work needed for man's redemption and from sin and, and Satan. Because if you notice, those Old Testament patriarchs, they were doing type and shadow of what Jesus did when he came. It is just that no other blood could set man free. No other blood could have purchased our redemption. So with the best efforts that they had in the Old Testament, even though the lamb and the goat was without blemish and without spot or anything like that, that still could not suffice. But at least they had a glimpse of what God intended. So it is an honor for you to live in the, old, in the new covenant because the men in the old covenant dream of these days. Yet some people waste these days. 
So the covenants made with these fathers are part of the everlasting covenant of redemption, the type and shadow of what was to come. And certain basic fundamental principles were disseminated both in um, godly and ungodly lines. So even though some of these people were not serving God, there were some practices that were happening through some of these lines that represented things that were to come. So even the sacrifices to, to Baal and those kinds of stuff, they're not certainly not right, but it was a choice to go the wrong way or to misuse what God had given that caused people to be sacrificing to Baal and all of that. But the concept, the concept of sacrificing so that um, God can be honored is what we're really after here. But let's stick with the side of the, what I'll call the, the, the righteous. Because Abraham walked with God and Abraham sacrificed before the Lord and Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac unto the Lord. And interestingly, that same place in Mount Moriah where Abraham was going to offer Isaac, when it comes down to the New Testament, it is the very same area that is called Calvary. And God did what Abraham was about to do hundreds of years before. God gave his son. So Abraham had some inclination, some idea of what it meant to sacrifice. Of course, Isaac's blood could not pay for our sins, but the principle of sacrificing unto the Lord was established even before Jesus himself came. So when Jesus came, we see and we know the story that God sacrificed his son. The Bible said God gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Tonight, I want to ask, do you believe? Do you believe? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Do you believe? You can avoid be, being destroyed. You can avoid perishing if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of his only son on our behalf was not cheap. He was faithful. He is faithful. We need to be grateful. We thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and have a great day. You may contact us by email at fcfmontegobay at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at fcfmobay and on Facebook at fcfmontegobay.com.